Hello and welcome to episode 281 of a Veg Crowd podcast. My name's Richard and I love to grow food in my allotment and garden. Today is the 10th of April 2020 and coming up a little later on, I've got Stuart Jackson. Stuart Jackson came to me and he said, can I record a podcast with you where I ask you a few questions from a beginner veg grower perspective? And I thought that sounded like a great idea. So that's coming up in just a moment. But firstly, what have I been up to today? Well, today I went down the allotment. Took a lovely walk to the allotment in the glorious sunshine. It was like a summer's day today. When I first got to the allotment, first thing I did was carried on doing more weeding. Getting on top of the weeds, as I said yesterday. After that, I dismantled the wooden bed that was around the raspberry canes that I removed a few days ago. Now, this bed was made from pallet wood, so that pallet wood is going to be saved for another project. But this has just cleared that area, which I then proceeded to run over with a lawnmower just to make sure there was nothing there. There was a large bramble which had to come out of the way, but the lawnmower ate through that. I also ran over my weed collection with my lawnmower, which then all got thrown into the compost heap. After that, I then went around doing a bit of watering. Nothing very um, challenging about that. And then I harvested some more asparagus some rhubarb, some chard, some purple sprouting broccoli. I think that was about it today, but quite a bit still on offer. I think the purple sprouting broccoli is coming to the end of its life though, to be fair, but that's not a problem because I'll soon get rid of that. I then came home and set up the spare quail cage. Now this was the quail cage that I painted a couple of days ago. I basically put this into position and filled the base up with some sand. Although I ran out of the play sand that I usually use. However, I did find that I had some sharp sand lying around from a project years ago. It's just been sat in the corner, not doing anything. So I used that in the quail cage. With that then set up, I moved my male quails into this cage from the other cage. Now these quail are the males called Mindflayer and Demigorgon. I mean, they're quite happy, but they did not like being picked up. And they actually spat at me, which is the first time I've had that with quails. But I don't mind because they're now into that home, which is going to be their permanent home now. Now, the home that they was in, I've basically going to be clearing that completely out, giving it another lick of paint, and then I'll be potting my other quail, including the female quail, into this. So that's what I've been up to today. What have you been up to? Please let me know in the comments. As I said in the intro, Stuart Jackson contacted me about doing a podcast where he asks me questions. And I thought that was quite a different perspective. So without much ado, Stuart, welcome to the podcast. First time I think I've had you on this podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks, Richard. Yeah, it's sun is shining, it's breaking through. Excellent. I am taking a break from the garden. <laughs> taking a break from the garden. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Now, you're going to ask me a few questions in a moment from a beginner's perspective. But before that, let's find out a bit about you and your background. When did you start gardening and, and what have you done over the years? Well, um, I lost my mum a few years ago and to get my dad out, he was always a gardener, but to get him out, his gardener um, or his partner in gardening come out and said to him, you've got to sell some of your plants. Um, so we started a plant sale sort of the following month, just selling perennials, perennial flowers and then we lost dad and he left in his will money for my, me and my brother and sisters to carry on. So I've, all I've grown over the last five or six years is perennial flowers to sell, to make money for the brain tumours, mm -hmm. charity. Um, 
And now with the situation we're in, I want to learn about vegetable gardening. And not with the intention of, the intention is not to sell them, is to grow them for myself and just carry on doing what I'm doing with the brain yeah. on one side and my veg garden on the other. Um, but I'm learning very slowly because vegetable gardening and, and flower gardening are completely different. I think you assume, everybody assumes that because I garden, I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to perennial flowers, but vegetables are a different kettle of fish altogether. I'm finding it very difficult to know what vegetables to plant or what is best to plant in my ground. What is best, to, you know, I know I know the basics to grow what you like, but you, if your grain's not suitable for celeriac or, or cucumbers or this is the bit I don't understand is what to grow when. Yeah, yeah, of or course. Where. Of course. Well that well that's gonna be the questions you're gonna be asking me, which is um slight, me, yeah. slightly different because I'm used to asking the questions and this is gonna be slightly different. So uh should we crack on and get go through this then? Well I'll give you the the first one that I've, I've obviously cracked because I've just started to build my garden. But where, if you've got us, I've got a safe-facing garden. Mm-hmm. What would I do to set that garden out first? Do I draw a plan? Do I just go for it? Well, drawing a plan is probably one of the most organised and probably better ways of doing it. However, I've just thrown the garden in whenever I've I've seen it. I've never really drawn a plan because. I'm not that organised. It's more, that's where I want to do it. That's where I'm going to pot it. On the allotment, I do have a system where I am crop rotating, which is why I have beds down there. But that's all in my head. There's no plan. There are apps out there that do help you plan out your vegetable garden or your plants by drawing on on your phone or on uh, a computer. But I find them far too fiddly to use. And I've tried... It just doesn't pay off. Well, leading with your answer, crop rotation. Yes. What does that mean? That 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 with flowers, you just put them in, and doesn't matter where you put. Right. You know, it, it either looks nice or it doesn't. Yes. Right. Crop rotation. The idea behind that is you won't have the same crop in the same place for two years running. So you might have your onions in a bed one year, and then you might follow that up with something like beans. And the idea behind this is that the soil then doesn't get full of any of the diseases or bugs that are particular to that one particular type of veg. So therefore it doesn't build up and you're not going to get your crops disseminated year after year. And that's the general idea. The reality is more and more people do not have the space to crop rotate these days. So I think Whereas I've got a fairly strict regime down on the allotment where I move everything around, and what a lot more people are just trying to do now is just not grow the plants in the same place two years running. Um, and that's simply what it is, just not growing the, place in the, the crops mm. in the same place two years running. Right. That, that makes sense to me now. Because, yep. as I said, with flowers, it doesn't matter. You, you, tip, I tend to grow perennials anyway, so you, once you put them in, they're in. And you leave them until they get too big and then you split them. Yeah. So that's brilliant. Now, I've set my bed up. I've used the compost out of my compost bin. 
to yeah. dig into the ground because that I heard that on your other podcast. Now, do, before I start sowing into there or planting into there, do, do I need to do anything else to it? I would run over it with a hoe and rake and try and get that soil really nice and friable. It's it's easy to get. Are you sowing your seeds directly into the soil? I should ask. Or are you sowing them elsewhere and planting them in? No, no, I'm going to sow into. I'm going to sow into paper pots. Yeah. Just to save. I know it sounds silly, to, but to save compost. And then I'm only sowing. This is another thing I picked up on another podcast. Sowing a few seeds this week and then leaving it a couple of weeks and then sowing a few more. So like, beet, I don't get all the beetroot come at once. Yeah. Yeah. Or all the cabbages come at once. Um, so I'm going to sow everything into paper pots, which then I can hopefully drop into the ground. Yeah. Um, and then they will decompose on their own. Yeah, yeah. That's the plan. Is that a good plan or is that... Oh, no, that that's a good plan. There's very, very little that I actually direct sow. Everything else I will sow into pots and then plant out. The only things I direct sow would be carrots, parsnips... I've direct sown beetroot this year, but normally I would sow that in pots. Um, but yeah, carrots and parsnips are the only thing I direct sow. Uh, but to come back to your original question with, with getting the soil, give it a good hoe and rake, make sure yeah. there's no weed seeds or anything. Um, give it a water in the day before you plan to plant and then plant your plants and give it a water in again. That's about it, really, I would say. Well, I, I will say I have found since I've dug it over, I have found the cats are using it quite a lot. So yeah, I, yeah. I've just covered it over some fleece at the moment. Yeah. Is there anything we could you could do without? I'm not saying wasting your fleece because the fleece will help warm the ground up. But is there anything else I could use rather than use my fleece? Other people have said they stick forks, plastic forks. They'll stick the stick them so the the fork side is up. Or anything thorny oh, yeah. to stop cats from using it. That's one way I've heard of. I've never done that myself. Other people have said orange peel apparently scares away cats. I, again, don't know for myself. I'll try anything. Yeah. Orange we eat oranges, it's, you know. Yep. Um, and there are some, I hate them myself, they're ultrasonic scarers. So if an animal comes in, it sends off an ultrasonic sound and that scares off any animals. Humans are not meant to be able to mm. hear it, but I can tell you I can hear it every time and it's really painful. Yeah, I, living out in this country, which I do, I live, I live my garden backs onto an open field. So... Yeah. I'm going to get badgers and, and foxes and such like coming into my garden, so I wouldn't really want to use one of them if I could help it because no. the, the the badgers help take the slugs down and and hedgehogs and stuff. So I really wouldn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the fort one. I quite like the fort one. Yeah, yeah, I like that as well. Uh, I've, just going back to your question about um, preparing the beds, I've just suddenly thought you might want to add yeah. some uh, feed or fertilizers to the ground as well. If you're growing brassicas, such as cabbages or cauliflower, you might want to add some lime. Um, but the you lime. Might, chicken manure or something as well will help boost the get the nutrients into the soil to really give those plants a good boost when they start. Yeah, that that's yeah, that, that's a good one. A lot lime because because my my is really heavy clay. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about the garden's prepped. We've you've hoed it, so it's all nice and fine. Yeah. So, 
we'll water it. Now, tap, this is the argument I've got. Tap water or water but water? Water but water. <laughs> All the way water but water. So at the moment, my water butts are empty because we've had two days or three days of dry weather. My oh. water butts are empty. Now, I've been told that tap water is not good for plants straight from the tap. Right, well, is that... tap, tap water has a lot of chemicals in it and it costs money. Uh, I don't know if you're yeah. on a meter, but if you're on a meter, it's going to cost you more money to use the tap water. But it does have more chemicals in it, whereas rainwater is much more natural. And if you th- if you go out in the garden after it's rained, you can just instantly tell that everything feels a bit fresher from that rainwater. So 100%, I would say rainwater. The only time I would say use tap water is, one, if you haven't got any rainwater, like yeah. in your case, and two, when they're seedlings or um, even in seed form, the tap, the rainwater might have some bacteria in there, which you don't want into your get into your young plants. So back then, I would use tap water as well. Yeah. But apart from that, try and use rainwater as much as possible. If you find you run out of uh, rainwater a bit too often, it might be worth looking at getting some more rainwater butts. Yeah. Um, to, to increase your load, I've got 13 now, I think, in my garden. So I hoard as much rainwater as I possibly can. But also, if I know it's going to rain, what I will do is run out to my water butts and fill up all my watering cans and buckets. And then that rain butt can hold on to more water because it's, it's a bit more empty. And I've just increased the amount of water I've got. Another little tip for you. Ah. Yeah, I'm I'm quite lucky because my sister works for a supermarket. The flower buckets that you, the flowers come in, mm-hmm. I have about twenty five of them in my back garden. Mm. So they are going to be used to collect rainwater. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and, and that yeah, might cause... that might buy you another couple of days just doing that one little trick. Yeah. Now going back, you said about you can use tap water. Now can I use it straight from the tap, or do I need to let it warm up? If it's in the greenhouse then I would say you need to pot it in a watering can and pot the watering can in the greenhouse for... If you do it... Well, I tend to do it last thing at night because I water at night. So I'll, I'll water, fill it up, and then I'll leave it in the greenhouse. It'll warm up during the day, and then I can use it again that night. If it's outside, then you can't really get the water to that temperature very easily anyway. So especially if you're using it straight out the tap on a hose pipe... So that's fine. And generally speaking, when it comes out the tap, it's not that much colder than room temp or air temperature anyway. It's more if it's in the greenhouse you want to worry about it. Again, especially when they're seedlings and seeds. Fab. That's fab. <laughs> We're getting, cracking on these. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. The, it, no, the, I've got the bed ready. No, this is sort of a double question. The first thing I should plant and the thing I shouldn't plant. So the one thing that you would steer me away from and the one one thing you say, go for that first because that will grow easy. Anybody can grow that. Right. Um, I mean, they're interesting questions. I mean, what I always, always say when it comes to what you should grow is grow what you eat. There's no point growing, I don't know, tomatoes if you don't eat tomatoes. And then, so... 
at the moment, this is the beginning of April. So things like onions and garlics, which are incredibly easy to grow from sets, it's probably a bit too late to grow those. And they're in the ground for a long time. So don't give you a huge amount of bang for your money. What What is easy to grow? Tomatoes are pretty easy, to be honest. And pretty much every garden will grow them. Beans, again, very easy to grow. Pretty much every veg garden will grow them. Um, I'd like chilies as well. They're a bit harder, but they can test you a bit more. They're only harder because they need less watering and you've got to learn how to get the watering right. Um, but yeah, I'd say probably those three to start off with of what everyone can grow. And put the three together and you've got a hot baked beans. So all good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, as for... I, I, I'm liking that. Yeah. I, I, I think it's important to recognise that if you're going to grow something, you've got to eat it. And if... If you can grow something like making your own baked beans, you're going to eat it even more because you've made it. You've also learned a recipe on how to turn your raw ingredients into baked beans. Um, and then you're going to enjoy that all the more just through that because you're involved in it, you're invested in it. Mm. But for what not to grow, I'd probably say cauliflowers can be quite tricky for a beginner because... To get those nice white curds, if the sun is hitting those white curds uh, in the height of summer particularly, they don't tend to go white. They're yellow and they bolt quite easily. And what you have to do then is try and shade it, shade that cauliflower somehow. Some people will tie leaves together around the top to shade the cauliflower, which for a newbie, it can be a very weird thing to do. And... A bit, a bit, a bit more on the tricky side. So yeah, I would steer away from cauliflowers. Now I'm going backwards, Richard, because I should have said this earlier. Okay. How deep should my garden, my raised bed, be or garden? Like I'm quite lucky because I've dug mine straight into the ground and just put boulders round it. Yeah. But if I was building a raised bed, how deep should I make it? it that all depends on. <laughs> well, I always say it's the materials you've got. Uh, how much compost mm. you've got and what you're growing. Uh, really, when it comes to how deep, most plant roots will find their own way down. And I know, I know you said you're on a heavy clay like myself, so you're going to have compost on, probably on the top yeah. and then that heavy clay. So for most plants such as tomatoes, chilies, anything where you're not really eating the roots, it's not going to make a huge amount of difference. But plants such as carrots, parsnips, what you'll find with those is where, they, where you've got the compost on top, they'll grow quite nicely. When they hit the clay soil, it'll, it'll be a bit more resistance for the root. So the, the root will change shape or it'll start to look thicker or thinner um, because of that difference in soil. Again, not a huge problem if you're growing it to eat because it still tastes just as good, more for the show bench. But I think it's something definitely to bear in mind. As for really yeah. how deep, there's no real set rule, I'd say. It's just whatever you can do. Um, some people like them sort of a metre deep so they don't have to bend down to work on them. There's some beds I've built in the past have only been like two, three inches deep because that's all I had available at the time. Yeah, that's something I didn't think about about the bending. 
yeah. <laughs> I don't mind. I just sort of. Um, I, but that, I, that's again, that's the lear, that's a learning curve. I can always build it up and add compost to it. So, and um, so where we got to, we got to the water and we got to the sewing. We got to. How often should I? I should I water if I'm? Oh, we'll give an example: peas and runner beans. How mm. often should I water them? Right, peas, peas and beans. They tend to tend to like water early on in their life. So, when you yeah. first plant them out, you really want to give them a good watering. Probably for the first week, I'd probably say every day, and then yeah. probably every few days after that. Um. Eventually, once they've got their roots down nice and deep, you probably only need to water about once a week. And like most things, I would say, giving them a really good heavy watering once a week would be more beneficial for the plants because then they, that forces them to get their roots further down, which then causes a, yeah. a stronger plant. But you've got to get them established in the first place, which is why I say early on, water them every day. Peas are particularly fond of water, so they do need a, a fair amount of water. Um, chilies, as I said earlier, they need less water because they like it on the dry side. So chilies, you wait until the soil is dry and then water. Very much a case of tailoring yourselves to each plant, but that's that's the joy of gardening, and and you learn that from experience. So, but as a rule of thumb when you get them water them daily to establish them and then once they're established a good watering once a week maybe twice a week if it's really hot does that help oh, yeah <laughs> that does yeah now in normal circumstances all, all the garden centers would be open mm -hmm. we'd be going buying our plants yeah but so all our veg plants are there in the garden center ready and you can still buy them online if you haven't grown them yourself, when should I plant them out? Right. Because I can buy them. I could get them today. Yep. Yes, and you don't want to plant them out today because there's still a very good risk of a frost coming overnight. What you want to do is uh, you go onto the website, onto Google, and search for your last frost date for your area. Now, for me, it's something like the 8th of May, which is only a month away. And... Oh. I would then say you're going to look at start planting out more your tender plants, such as your tomatoes, your chilies, and your beans, your squashes, about a week or two after that. So mid-May, generally speaking, mid-May is probably ideal for most of the country. But if you are further up north, there's a chance you can have a frost later on in the season. But yeah, it's a case of working out your frost date. But plants are a bit hardier, so your brassicas, your cabbages, your uh, broccoli, your kales they can go out a bit earlier so i've started planting out some of my onions my potatoes um, some of my broccoli and my kale is going outside soon so they're a bit hardier so therefore they can cope with the cold a bit better but at the same time you need to be wary that there is still a risk of a frost and while they're still young and seedlings a frost can still kill them off so having some fleece that you can just throw over the plants if you can see the weather is going to be frosty is a good backup for that. That's good. Um, and then this this is this is the one I find really difficult. Um, uh -huh. Seeds, they're all different shapes. They're all different shapes. Mm -hmm. I've sown onions. I've sown 
um, tomatoes, I'm saying courgettes. Um, and should you sow them all the same way? Um, somebody told me that courgette seeds shouldn't be led down. Is that right? Right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, know it sounds really basic, but it's... Yeah. The, I mean, what I always say with seeds is read the packets. Generally speaking, 90% of seed packets will have the instructions on them. So if you're unsure, mm. just read that, and that will tell you everything you need to know. Courgettes or seeds from the cucurbit family, they are quite big and they're also quite flat. And some people say just pushing that flat into the ground is enough. Um, but... If we go back to nature where they're out in the wild, there's no one to put no seeds in the right way. They just grow wherever they fall. So I don't think it makes a huge amount of difference. You've just got a higher chance of being successful by pushing them in on the side. Wow. That, yeah. that, it, it just baffles me because the seeds come, obviously, you know, same with flowers. They come in all different sizes. Yeah. You know, you took a poppy seed yeah. that you, at one pod, you probably get 10,000 seeds. Yeah, and then you have a looping that you probably get six or seven in each pod. Yeah, so it's it's really you know with flower seeds it's a lot easier. You just throw them down because that's what happens in nature. They fall and yeah. they cover themselves up. Or um, and with runner beans, this is I don't know this is true or not. But Dad used to sow one for the one for the grain, one for to rot, and one for the crow. So for every <laughs> stick he put in, he put three seeds in. Is there any need to put three seeds in for every cane? Um, if you're growing them for, out... Like a runner bean. Yeah, I mean, if you're growing them outside, quite possibly. I mean, when they're outside, they are a good chance mice or crows might eat them. They might rot in the ground. But from what you said earlier, you're going to be sowing them in your greenhouse beforehand anyway. So mm. that's going to really compensate for any of those problems in that that regard so i wouldn't worry too much if you're just doing your paper pots just one in each paper pot will be sufficient yeah um, well, the only reason i started paper pots is because compost has got so hard to get yeah um so i thought i'd save my compost that way rather than doing a tray of compost and like you normally do is chuck them on in the tray yeah. well i don't chuck them in the tray i spread them out but um i'm really lucky i can get compost so should we dig compost into the garden as well that was the question that was one of the questions uh -huh. if normal circumstances well in in normal circumstances i mean digging compost is the traditional style or digging manure into the ground is the traditional style mm. of gardening um, and the idea is you would dig a trench out of the, the, the soil, fill it with a bit of compost, then backfill it with a, a soil from another trench and continue on until you've moved it all around. Um, personally, I'm a what is called a no digger. And that is basically where instead of digging the soil, you just pile your compost on top of the soil. And what happens then is the worms will come up and they will create their own little pathways through that soil which allows air into the soil but they also pull down all that organic matter into the soil themselves and they're basically doing the work for you the downside of it is you need a lot of compost and you need a lot of um, strength 
moving the compost around. Which, okay, we've got a lot of strength and a lot of time on our hands at the moment, but getting hold of compost is pretty difficult now. So digging it in is probably the only option in many cases, unless you can make your own compost, of course. But then you've got to make a lot of compost as well. That brings me on to another question. <laughs> How long should I leave the compost in the compost bin? Mine's been in there for two or three years, so that's oh. because I've never, I've not used it. Yep. So ideally, how long do you leave it in there well, before all... you take it out the bottom? Yeah, I mean, that all depends. Again, with experience, you learn how to work with your compost. I've got my compost down that I can produce it in three months because I, I, I'm chopping it down nice and small. It's in my compost. I'm turning it regularly. And it is. it just looks like soil. It just looks like compost. And that's when you know it's ready. It looks like compost you would buy from a, a shop. If you're, I, I said on a compost podcast recently, I would wait a year or two if you're a newbie before you start to use that compost, just to make sure there's no weed seeds or anything in there that is likely to germinate and kill everything off. But again, that comes from experience. And the only way you're going to get experience is by making a start and doing it and, and learning from it. But yeah, two, three years, I'd say that's plenty of time. In an ideal world, how many compost bins would you have in, say, a normal garden? Your, say your garden, because your garden sounds about the same size as mine. Yeah, mine's my garden's 250 square metres, 25 metres long, 10 metres across. I don't know what that is. That's, but yeah. It's, um, I've got four compost bins, and they're a the Dalek type. Uh, two are slightly smaller yeah. than the other two. And that's enough for me with the chickens and the ivy. And we produce quite a bit of lawn cuttings. And I mean, basically, when we trim anything back, be it the hedge, the ivy, we throw it all on the lawn and we run over it with a lawnmower. And that will fill our compost bins up quite quickly. I probably would say you want three compost bins. So you could be filling one. You will have another one that you're turning and another one that you're using. And then when the one that's being used is empty, you would then start to fill that one and, and rotate them around like that. That's probably the easiest way, but it depends on how much green material you are producing as well. For me, I've got four and I do fill them quite rapidly. You've probably covered this on your compost podcast, but is there a, way, is, is there a better way of putting the stuff in? Like, can I put all my all my grass cuttings in together? All you know. Oh no, you want. Is there a better way, or do you? Yeah, you want to. When it comes to compost, you don't want a load of just grass clippings because that will turn slimy. It goes anaerobic, and it doesn't really compost down very well. Grass clippings are green material, uh, as in leaves and things like that. But you want to get some brown material in there, so they could be wood cardboard anything like that really you want to get that in there as well the wood will sort of soak in some of the moisture to keep the the wet material the green material drier and the two balanced together and you want an equal balance of each which is pretty difficult to work out but the balance of the two together will give you the best possible compost so adding just grass clippings is as a, a no-go if you can throw in some cardboard because everyone's got cardboard at the moment That'll balance it out quite nicely. Yeah. I'm learning every minute of this. Co- this um, it's brilliant. So the compost comes at the bottom. Can we use that for seedlings or not? Uh, I I That's would I would say mm. no. I mean, some people do, 
my fear with using it for seedlings, especially if you're a newbie, is that there's still a chance you might have some weed seeds in there and they might germinate and you think you're growing a tomato and actually you're growing a, I don't know, cooch grass or something. How, yeah. how would you know? Unless you, oh, nemesis. Yeah, yeah. How would you know if you've never seen it before? So I wouldn't use it for seedlings. No, and there's also a chance it might have some bacteria or something. Again, those seeds and seedlings are very susceptible at that stage. So you want to treat them like they're they're very precious, and they are precious at that stage. And to be honest, seed compost, I know it's not easy to get hold of at the moment, but it's pretty cheap anyway. Right, with this <laughs> this situation, I found a new compost supplier, so I'm really quite pleased with myself. Oh, excellent. And it's cheaper than my normal supplier, so it's even better. Yeah, I will. Uh, um, that's amazing yeah um do you need to water your compost bin i know it's a silly it seems a silly question no, but it's 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 not a silly question at all um you do want to keep your compost damp when you're making compost i i don't actually have to water mine unless it gets incredibly hot but i've got those dalek style which if it does get hot and steam dirt is produced, it's just going to condensate on the outside. So it's not really a, a huge problem for me. If you've got an open one, then you might want to throw an occasional uh, bucket of water over it to get some moisture in there to aid the composting process. Well, you also don't want it too wet. So if you've got a bottom on yours, it's possible any excess moisture may not run out. Again, that comes down to experience and just doing it. Well, I think you've answered most of my questions. Excellent. If you haven't answered, you've answered them, even ones I've written down, you've answered in the answers you've given anyway. So it's, <laughs> I think it's, thank you. Thank no. you very much. No, thank you for, thank you for asking these questions. It's actually been quite a different sort of podcast recording. I like this. I think we should do this more often, getting some questions asked to me on a podcast. I think that's great. Well, well I'm always happy to help. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, well, usually at this point, I'll be asking if you have a blog or a, a, a YouTube channel or anything like that. I'm, I'm guessing you don't. No, not yet. No. But it sounds like I might. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to do this sort of thing with the children at school because they're so more tech savvy. Yeah. And if once we get back to school, I would like them to set up a blog yeah. or a podcast of what they're doing because the way I work is that, I have a box of seeds and the children choose what they sow. Yeah. Even if it's the wrong time of year, they have to learn from that mistake. Yeah. So if I if I just put eight what's available for April, they will own, they will they won't make a mistake. So they've already got one right. So they've got to work out, they've got to read the packet, they've got to work out what will grow and how to grow it. Yeah. So I just I'm there to supervise. I am there to teach, but I'm I want them to own the garden. Yeah, yeah. So if I give them, for instance, if I give them an onion seed to sow, if they don't like onions, they're not going to tend it. They're not going to water it every day or weed it. But if they choose a vegetable or a flower that they like, they're going to look after it. Yeah. So I want the garden to be theirs, but I want them to to show progress. So if they, if they just did a blog every week of what they did, you know, 10 minutes every week of what they've done, yeah. Then the next year, when I have the next group of children, they can use that blog as an experience. They can learn from the mistakes that the previous children have made. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's, that's my plan. And I think that's actually a very yeah. important thing. I've always been quite keen on sharing failures as well as successes. And I've always said, mm. if something succeeds, we don't really learn anything from it. It was just, yeah, that worked. 
when something fails, we go away, we say, right, why did that fail? Well, we'll try doing this differently. And then all of a sudden, it works. So we know and we've learned. And and that's so important for children as well. I think children can be taught that everything has to succeed. They have to get everything right. And actually, gardening doesn't work and like it, that. No, and as a, an educator then, I want... I feel that we're going to miss a whole generation of children not being able to grow. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm in my mid-50s. My kids are quite old. They've never been out in the garden with me, weeding. But when I was a kid, my job was to weed the strawberries. Yeah. So I think there's, we're going to have a generation of children that don't know how to grow unless we teach them. Yeah. So that's my mission, along with other people. Um, that's my mission to... And I know our friend Lee is trying to do the same. And yeah. we need to get them gardening. It doesn't matter if they're growing a tomato plant or a foxglove, as long as they're growing something. Yeah. You know, and learning the process of sowing the seed, tending that seedling, then transplanting it, then looking after it, then getting the, the reward. And if it's a flower or if it's a tomato soup it, or it's a chilli, you know, it's something at the end. It's an end product. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's... And as you know, gardening is about patience Mm -hmm. and children aren't patient anymore because they've got everything instant. Yeah. yeah. You know, podcasts are instant. You know, the television's instant. They order something online and it comes the next day. Yeah. But gardening's not like that, is it? No, no. Well, I think, dare I say, it's something that's coming out of this, this lockdown that we're in. Children are learning to be a bit more patient and that, and a lot of them are turning to gardening to fight the boredom which is great yeah. because it's it's they're going to be learning this skill that they're going to take on right throughout their life thank you so much for this today Stuart. thank you so much for joining me and uh, we'll follow this Not up in the future well i hope you found that useful out there i really enjoyed doing that podcast and i think that's actually something we could do a bit more regularly so if anybody has any questions that they would like to come on the podcast then please get in touch now you can email me richard at vegrowerpodcast.co.uk or you can leave a comment on the website at vegrowerpodcast.co.uk or you can find me on social either way just get in touch but for today please take care and i'll see you again next time <laughs>